Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Thank you for choosing to join us today as we look to connect with the presence of God and allow Him to do His good work in us. He loves doing something new in each one of us. And just between you and me, I love it when He lets me in on exactly what He's doing. But whether He's working behind the scenes of your life or allowing you to get a glimpse of it, His work is always good. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. We have an incredible team of people who work tirelessly to help people grow. That's what we're all about, getting to know God better as we surrender more of our lives to Him and live out His love in relationship with each other. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. There's no need to pretend that you've got your act together. We don't. We have messy lives that we are allowing Jesus to bring wholeness and healing to. And we're working through our messes together. There's always room for someone new. Even if you haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing yet, or are skeptical about church or the Bible, wherever you are, we'd love to meet you there and walk with you as you figure it out. We're all on the journey, and wherever you are on your journey, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now let's join our service. Well, welcome to part three of Love Dates and Heartbreaks. If this is your first service at Dayspring, in person or online, this is a series designed for people who are in a dating season of life. You might be a high school or a college student. Maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or older. In fact, you might find yourself in the dating season of life again because your marriage didn't quite work out the way you hoped it would when you said, I do, the last time. So you are trying to figure out just how to date in this day and age. Uh, this series is also for those of you in a committed relationship or who are married. As we've already discovered, most of us still have quite a ways to go in making our existing relationships even better. This is also my opportunity to talk about something that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to watch people I love and care about make relationship decisions that actually undermine their relationships. The kinds of decisions that undermine the foundation of their current relationships and perhaps even a future relationship. The kinds of decisions that eventually create regrets. Now, so far in this series, we've talked about love. We've talked about the kind of love Jesus was talking about just before he gave up his life for us on the cross. This was a brand new kind of love. It was a game changer, though it, it took years and years and years for anyone to see exactly how much it would change the world. No one had ever tried this kind of love before. This wasn't a do unto others as you would have others do unto you kind of love. You know, the, the golden rule. It was far more than that. Far more than a love others the way you want to be loved by others type of love. This brand new kind of love was, 
I want the love that others see in you, the love that you give to others, to reflect the kind of love I have had for you. At the time, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to his followers until a few days later when he laid down his life for them. Only then did things begin to click and change the way they lived and loved. They had to change their whole paradigm because in laying down his life for them, he was saying, when you think about loving other people, I don't want you to take your cues from those other people. I want you to take your cue from me. Instead of do unto others as you would have others do unto you, I want you to do unto others as I have done unto you. Like learn how to live as I and I have done kind of love. Now, you know what's really interesting about that? If that was all Jesus ever said, that would be enough. It would be enough to make us like Jesus. If that's all he ever said and we really lived that way, we would become spiritual giants. The only thing we really need to become like Jesus is to love like Jesus. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what else you know about God or Jesus. It doesn't matter how many verses you have memorized. It doesn't matter uh, how many times you've read the Bible completely through. It doesn't matter whether you can spout off all of the core doctrines of the church. It only matters how you love. How you love is enough to make you like Jesus. All of those other things are important to be sure if you apply that knowledge to the way you love. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He told us that we should have the same mind or the same attitude toward others as Jesus did. In your relationships with others, have the same mindset that Christ did. Do we really need anything else? We know how Jesus loved the people around him. Now, it's true that if we were all ancient Jews, we would probably have a better understanding of this, the nuance of this kind of love, but we are very much like the non-Jewish world that the Apostle Paul found himself in as he carried the story of Jesus around the Mediterranean Rim. Uh, for them, as is true for us, there was a translation problem in understanding what this kind of love looks like. So Paul fleshed it out. He fleshed out what this kind of love looked like like practically in the real world. He, he helped us to understand the practical application of this kind of love in various situations. He did this throughout his letters to the churches that he was a part of, some of which made it into the New Testament part of the Bible. He gave us the fine print that will make us fine. He gave us the fine print that will help us understand what this brand new kind of love will look like in our various relationships. He said that the love that God displayed through Jesus to you, that Jesus wants you to now put on display to others, it looks like this. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we saw last week, love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or arrogant or dishonoring. Instead, Love is honoring. It's selfless. It isn't easily angered or stirred up. It's not a scorekeeper. This kind of love protects the relationship. It's trusting. It's full of hope. And it perseveres. Now, this is how Paul teased it out. This is what Jesus' love looks like. And if you missed the, the past two weeks, I'd suggest you go back and watch them later. This is too important for the entirety of our lives to only get part of the story. 
We unpacked all of these love characteristics a little deeper than this recap of those messages. Today, we're going to build on that foundation. So we've talked about love, which means in the progression of the title of this series, today we are talking about dates. And as we dive into the subject of dates, I'm going to start at the end by giving you the end, the bottom line at the start. That way, if you decide to tune me out or keep on scrolling for those of you online, you'll still have this thought rattling around in your head. And here it is. If you don't want a relationship like the majority of relationships, don't date like the majority of daters. Let me, let me say that again. If you don't want a relationship like the majority of relationships, if you don't want a marriage like the majority of marriages, if you don't want a future marriage like the majority of marriages you've seen, in fact, maybe you aren't even interested in marriage because you've been put off by the marriages you have seen. You've just never seen a good one. Your parents or someone else didn't model it very well for you. You've never seen a marriage you'd want to be in because they all look stuck and you don't want to be stuck. They are all just coexisting, not thriving. Well, if you don't want a marriage like the majority of marriages, then don't date like the majority of daters. It's that simple. The Apostle Paul set us up for this, uh, for this discussion, and here's, here's where we ended last time, which sets us up for today's discussion. Near the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the most extraordinary chapter uh, on love, Paul said this, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Then I grew up. And when I grew up, I stopped acting like a child. I stopped thinking like a child and began to think like an adult and do adult things. I did what grown-ups do. I put the ways of my childhood behind me. Now, we all understand what he means here because we've had to do the same thing. We've naturally stopped doing the things we did as kids and begun to do the work of adulting. We aren't childish anymore, most of the time, most of us. We pay bills. We have jobs so we can pay those bills. We have insurance. When I was 18, I had several friends who were in their mid-20s, and I remember thinking to myself, all they ever talk about is insurance. But there you have it. That's what an adult does. We are responsible in every area of life except for dating. Maybe you can explain why to me later, but we act like adults except when it comes to dating. It's like we've all reverted to childhood. The whole culture of dating has become childish. Of course, that's not the word we use. In all of the blogs and rants and articles about dating, nobody uses that word. What they say instead is that it's complicated. Dating is complicated. And as I've said each week, the framework and outline for this series comes to us through Andy Stanley and the Irresistible Church Network. So through them, uh, here are some quotes to help us, uh, those of us who are not dating, to understand what dating, what complicated dating looks like today. Benjamin says this, online dating is the worst. Each time I ask friends, ranging from early 20s to their 40s, how the temperature in the dating pool is, I'm met with borderline hostility. 
For all, he continues, for all the talk of ease that a dating app allows for a potential date, the impression I'm left with is that everyone is swimming in a pool they all took a dump in. <laughs> He's not done. Instead of shocking the water and getting out, everyone decided that they needed to keep swimming in the sewage, perhaps even adding to it, because that pool is where people swim. In other words, what option do we have? What option? What other option is there? It's a mess, a total disaster area, but hey, if you're going to date, this is your only option, your only approach. Shawnee says this, I saw a meme once that read, it used to be, how long do we date before we have sex? Now it's how long do we have sex before we date, before this is actually a relationship. Aiden writes this, we don't communicate our feelings to one another, but instead play this guessing game with no intention of being with that person because it means you care and you're weak because, well, because whoever cares the least wins, right? And last, Rebecca writes this, I am definitely as much to blame as any of my, as any of the men I meet. I'm often unwilling to make the space in my life a relationship needs in order to thrive. Maybe this will change when I meet the right man, the right person. I, I hope this breaks your heart like it breaks mine. This whole issue breaks my heart. It, it makes me wonder if the cultures that still have arranged marriages might actually be onto something. Could they really do any worse? When you take something that is designed for an adult, anything, anything designed for an adult, and you give it to a child, it appears to that child to be complicated. From the child's perspective, it appears to be complicated. As long as we, as long as our culture approaches romance and sexual attraction and relationships like a child, it will be complicated. But it's not actually that complicated. Think about what it's like to be a child. Children are naturally, and we all know this because we've all been children at some point in our lives, children are naturally impatient, naturally self-seeking, naturally self-centered, easily angered, easily distracted, easily ill-mannered and rude. They want to be held until they don't. They pout in order to get their way. They throw tantrums. So here's what we need to do. We just need to grow up and stop acting like children in our dating culture. Now, I know that's easy for me to say because I'm married. I'm not in the dating scene. But I still see what happens in our culture. I see the aftermath. I hear the stories. I help clean up the messes. Sometimes I'm up to my elbows in other people's messes. So I just want to grab our dating culture by the shoulders and shake some sense into it. You know how to do this in every other area of life. You know what it is, what it means to grow up. So put the childish ways behind you and act like adult. Because if you don't, what you are left with is complicated. Unnecessarily complicated. And it doesn't have to be that way. Acting childishly makes you susceptible to the right person myth that says, it doesn't matter how I treat the wrong person because when I meet the right person, I will become a better person. It doesn't really matter how I treat her because I'm not going to marry her. 
It doesn't really matter how I treat him because I'm not going to marry him. It doesn't matter what I do in this particular season of life because I don't plan on getting married in this particular season of life. It doesn't matter what I do in graduate school because once I get my, my career headed in the right direction, then I'll settle down. It doesn't matter what I do now that I'm divorced or widowed. I'm an adult. The rules for young people dating don't apply to me anymore. You can't expect me to go without. It's not forbidden fruit anymore. I'll, I'll worry about that when I meet the right person. Then I'll become better. Listen, it doesn't work that way. And you will have missed the season of your life that you have to prepare for that day. And if you miss it, you miss it. Uh, once the honeymoon wears off, you'll regret not preparing. Your spouse will regret that you weren't prepared. You have right now to get your relationship muscles in place, to exercise them. It's much easier to get, in, get them in shape in advance than it is to get them in shape after the fact, as all of us married people can attest to. Some of you grew up in a home that put you ahead of the game. Your parents forced you to exercise your relationship muscles. Your parents helped you learn to be patient and kind and honoring and self-controlled. I hope you put that training to good use. But many of you have walked away from that training because it was too old-fashioned. And more and more people entering the dating pool who they have no training at all. You're going to have a little more work to do. To be prepared for the future, you're going to have to prepare. And dating is exercise. Dating is preparation. Dating requires something from us. It's risky. It surfaces our greatest fears and insecurities and some of our greatest anxieties. It's no wonder that people dating today want to avoid actually dating and find some substitute or workaround that won't force you to exercise your relationship muscles your courage muscles, your self-control muscles. Nobody likes to intentionally choose to be in situations that require you to face your fears, insecurities, and anxieties. We like to avoid those kinds of situations. But do you know how you learn self-control? You learn self-control when you have to use self-control. When you don't have to use your self-control muscle anymore, you don't exercise your self-control muscle and it gets flabby. Pastor Michelle and I have a goal for the end of, end of summer. It's not a contest, just a goal that we both share. By the end of summer, we want to be able to do one handstand push-up. We want to be able to do a handstand against a wall because neither of us has enough balance to sustain a handstand. And from that position, do one handstand push-up. So we are exercising our muscles to get ready. We're building strength by making little tears in our existing muscles that make room for new muscle. We are intentionally lifting more and stretching ourselves and making ourselves uncomfortable now so that we are ready later. You build patience and kindness and self-control and all those other relationship expressions of love the same way. Dating is a season of preparation for you to build your self-control muscle, your honor muscle. All of these muscles will be necessary for an actual relationship. If you don't work on them now, you and your mate will be sorry later. That's just how it works. 
Now, as we've seen so far, the, uh, the New Testament is incredibly helpful when it comes to relationships. Uh, when it comes to actual relationships, we find lots of good stuff in the New Testament, all based on this new way of loving that Jesus modeled and introduced in the New Testament, and that Paul teases out in his letters in the New Testament. But when it comes to dating, well, the New Testament isn't quite as helpful. There is no dating advice in the New Testament, or the Old Testament for that, for that matter, <laughs> because back then, single people didn't date. In fact, they weren't even single for long because single people were promised to each other by their parents. By the time they were 13 or so, the deal was done, even if the marriage didn't happen until later. So there was no dating culture, not even an adolescent culture, really, and no singles culture. Back in ancient times, women guarded their virginity like they were guarding their lives because in most instances, they were guarding their lives and guarding their future. It was an honor and shame culture. Dignity wasn't determined by the, by the fact that you were a human being. Dignity was determined by who you were related to, what nation you were a citizen of, and how much money your family had. And then Jesus came along. This is why you should consider following Jesus, because Jesus came along and introduced for the very first time in a holistic way dignity for every person. Every man, woman, and child. Jesus is the one who paved the way for human rights, for women's rights, for children's rights, and for minority rights. But even with all of that, with, uh, with all of the instructions we find in the New Testament, Jesus didn't say one little syllable about dating. Which means that from this moment on in this message, this is not, thus saith the Lord. It's just me saith. I've taken the relationship principles we've talked about already in this series and some other relationship principles we find in the New Testament and applied them to the context of dating. For those of you who want to go a little deeper, maybe even apply them to another context, you'll find some of the scripture references in the discussion questions in your bulletin or online. This is how you apply biblical principles to the areas of life that the Bible is silent on. When it comes to dating, these are my opinions and insights. I haven't made them in a vacuum. As I've already said, Andy Stanley gave us the rights to this sermon series, so he's helped. And over the years, I've had lots of conversation with people who have done it right, and even more with those who have done it wrong. People who have successfully navigated 30 years of marriage, 50 years of marriage, even 70 years of marriage, and people whose marriages didn't make it even five years. So as important as all of this is, just up front and honest, no scientific research has been done to support my conclusions. This is just my opinion. And later, if you talk with your friends about this, you're gonna have, they're going to have their opinions, which may or may not match mine. The more people you ask, the more you'll have to sift through. That's up to you. So let me set the stage. Most of you know me well enough by now to know that I'm a pretty straight shooter. I'm going to speak the truth, usually nicely, but without worrying too much about whether you'll like me or not afterward. Sometimes the wounds of a friend are necessary for spiritual growth, and that's what I care about more than just about anything else. So to that end, let me start by saying something to the women. Women, 
it is embarrassing to have to say this about men, but I am one, which means I know this to be true from experience. When it comes to men and relationships, if we don't have to, not at work, not on the basketball court, not at home, relationally speaking, if we don't have to, we don't. If we don't have to ask you out, we won't. It's too scary. Women, if you step in, most of us will step back. If you initiate, we'll let you make all the decisions. It, if we don't have to put ourselves out there, we won't. If we don't have to lead, we won't. If we don't have to talk about our feelings, we don't. Relationally speaking, if we don't have to, we won't. It's just part of our male nature. I'm not saying it's right. We don't really like it about ourselves. We know, we know it's true, even if we've never really thought about it that way. We cover it up with male bravado and machismo and other strange things, but, but in the end, there's no excuse for bad behavior, no excuse for bad leadership. And you might say, well, that's not me, Chris. To which I'd say, good for you. Your little girls need you to model this for them. Your little boys need you to model this for them. They need you to help them learn to step up and make decisions and not step away when somebody, somebody steps in and not try to escape engaging relationally. Some of us fight it and cover it pretty well because we don't like this about ourselves, but it is in most of us. So with that said, here's rule number one. Guys, ask girls on dates. Ask girls on dates. Use the word date. I would like to take you on a date to dot, dot, dot. No more, hey, you want to hang sometime? Hey, you want to do something some, sometime? Women, I hope you're sick of that. It's like, hey, you make the decision. See how we've masterfully shifted the responsibility to you women? Yes, you make the decision. Come on, men. Clarity is honoring. Clarity shows respect. Ask a woman to do something specific on a specific day at a specific time. And when you hear that, men, yes, that means you have to make a plan. That's exactly right. You need to exercise your planning muscle. You're going to need it. So you start by asking women on dates. Now, I'm going to give you an example. And yes, women, I know you're thinking, does he really need to give an example? Yes, I do. We, we're just, we just naturally suck at this. So guys, here's an example that doesn't use the word date, but don't be afraid of the word date. Here's what it looks like. I have two tickets to For King and Country next Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are available, because I'm going to give you a way out, if you are available, I would enjoy taking you. How's that? Now, let me go over that again. I thought ahead. Guys, let me tell you why giving her an out is a big deal, because let's be honest, it's taken you weeks, maybe even months, to, to muster up the courage to ask. You've taken all of this time. Uh, all of your friends know that you like this girl. Her friends probably know that you like this girl. They're all praying for this moment for you to actually have the courage. You're finally ready, and then you make the big ask, and you're giving her how much time to respond? Zero. 
So you were honoring her by being prepared with a plan and specifics. Now use the courage that it took and the clarity muscle to honor her with options. That way she can still check her calendar and have the space to process that you've already had. This is how you honor a woman by asking her to do something specific. You've had the time to think and worry. Now she has the time to think and worry and call her friends and get their advice. That's rule number one. Guys, ask girls on dates. Here's rule number two. Women agree to date. Emphasis on the word date. Don't agree to hang out sometime. Don't agree to fill in the blank. Agree to date. Here's why. The bar is set from the very first encounter. You decide from the get-go how you will allow yourself to be treated. You are worth it. You are worth it. If you allow the bar to start out low, it's not going to get any higher. It's incredibly sad, but also incredibly true. It's just part of our nature. We're going to rise to whatever level you'll take us and just stay there. It takes us a long time to improve, a long time. So you wanna make sure that the bar is high right from the start. If he just asks you to hang out sometime and you say yes, it will never get any better. When he asks you if you wanna hang out sometime, here's what I think you should say. Do you have something specific in mind? He won't. And if you say yes, he never will. It's just the way we operate. Now, and this is important here. When he says, you want to hang out sometime, don't say, well, would you like to grab a coffee sometime? Because he'll say, when? And then do you get what just happened? Now you're asking him out. Guys, if a woman pushes back and asks you for specific, she's not being a, well, she, this is church. Let's call it obnoxious. She's saying, you know what? I think you have the capacity to date. I think you have the capacity to plan. I think you have the capacity to show honor. So women, rule number two, don't bend on this one. Don't bend and pretend it's okay. Don't make excuses for him. You might miss out on him, but you won't lose yourself in the end. You want a husband who has courage. You want a husband who values you because you are valuable. You want a husband who knows how to lead because you don't want everything to default to you. If you want a different kind of relationship, you have to date differently. So hold strong and give us the opportunity to rise to the occasion. We have the capacity. We just don't usually have to rise to the occasion to rise to our capacity. Now, it might feel like I'm putting uh, pressure on the women right now, but truthfully, I've just deflated all of the men. They feel like I'm putting all of the pressure on them, and the truth is, almost universally, men are insecure and feel like they don't measure up. So they let fear lead them to, you want to hang out sometime, instead of, would you like to go out on a date? Because they're afraid that when you say no, it means that they aren't man enough for you. 
It, it just is. We struggle with this in different ways our entire lives. But men, having to rise to the occasion does something good in you. Something that will pay dividends for years and years. If you'll do it. And women, I want you to respect yourself and never put yourself in the position to, or get used to someone disrespecting you. We all know where that goes, where, where it leads, and I don't want that for you. And of course, I don't want that for men either, but we still live in a man's world in many ways. So I'm pretty protective of women as their brother in Christ. Women, at the beginning of a relationship, you have some influence as to how high the bar is going to be set in terms of where this relationship is going. Give us something to reach for, something that will help us build relational muscle. Men, put away your childish ways and grow up. Okay, so rule number one, guys, ask girls on dates. Rule number two, women say yes to dating. Now, it's, it's sad that this has to be rule number three, but this is the time in the culture that we live in. So here it is. Rule number three, don't ever mistreat anyone, even if they don't seem to mind being mistreated. Because you're not taking your cue from them or their previous boyfriend or girlfriend or any previous relationship on both sides. If you are a Jesus follower, and this should be obvious, but sadly it isn't, if you are a Jesus follower, you are taking your cue from how God through Jesus treats you. And he does not mistreat you. There is zero flexibility on this one. We have no margin to mistreat anyone in any relationship, let alone dating. But in the context of 21st century dating, don't lie. Thou shalt not lie. Don't lie and don't mislead. The truth is hard for us. Telling the truth is hard for us. It's not a love muscle that we are very good at using most of the time. It makes us uncomfortable which is going to happen when you don't use a muscle very often. It wears out easily. So you're going to wear out your, your transparency muscle and your courage muscle. It's, it's all a part of the preparation of getting ready for a relationship. I know truth hurts, but you know what hurts worse than truth? Betrayal. Telling someone the truth, even when it is hard, is honoring. Trying to save someone's feelings is actually demeaning because it says to them, I don't think you can handle the truth. I don't think you can handle someone being honest with you. You honor people by telling them the truth. It communicates value to them. I believe you can handle this. It's okay to hurt someone's feelings. That's acceptable when you're telling someone the truth. As long as you remember this rule, don't mistreat anyone. How you tell the truth is important. It is not okay to avoid hurting someone's feelings to protect yourself from the discomfort of telling someone the truth just because it's uncomfortable. This is a muscle that needs to be exercised more. It's preparation for healthy long-term relationships where you have to have difficult conversations. If you can't handle someone telling you the truth and or you can't handle some, telling someone else the truth, then you have a lot of work to do on you. And maybe you shouldn't be dating at all right now. Learn how to have uncomfortable conversations in a healthy way so that you never 
mistreat anyone again. It's a skill you can learn. Rule number three is related to rule number four. So don't mistreat anyone. And number four, don't allow yourself to be mistreated. You are too good for that. You are too valuable for that. That isn't arrogant speaking. It's just simply agreeing with what the great God of the universe says is true about you. It's agreeing with your heavenly father. Don't let anyone mistreat you. But what do I do when I love him or I love her? If you are dating, you run. Get out of the relationship. If this becomes the new normal for you, it will not go well for you into the future. You will begin to believe that junk about yourself instead of what God says is true of you. If you are married, get help. I will help point you in the right direction. You do not honor God when you allow yourself to be mistreated. And you are not helping anyone if you stay in the situation as it is. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting the other person, and you're hurting your children or future children in the process. You're teaching them that it's acceptable for them to be treated that way. Which begs the question, how do you know if it's mistreatment? Here's my simple answer. If you saw someone treating your son or daughter or your younger brother or sister or your single mom the way that that person is treating you and it would upset you that someone could treat someone else that way, then you should be upset that you are being treated that way. If it would upset you to see anyone else treated that way, then it should upset you that you are being treated that way. It's not different. It's the same. So don't allow yourself to be consistently mistreated. If that becomes your new normal, it's not normal and it's not okay. And rule number five, we talked about this in the first week of this series. Rule number five, don't do anything that makes you a liar for life. Don't do anything that makes you a liar for life. Don't do anything that will cause regret. In every relationship you are in, every date you go on, every romantic encounter that you are a part of, all of those events become a part of your story. Every single one becomes a permanent part of your story. That's not how we think about things, of course. We get lost in the moment and don't think about the way something is impacting our long-term story. But that doesn't change the truth. Every single event, every single encounter, every single relationship becomes a part of your permanent story. And I want you to write a story that you are proud to tell. When you look back on your current relationship or your previous relationship, I want you to write a good story. The kind of story that you'd be proud to tell the whole story and not gloss over the details or leave part of it out at all. And you will be asked. So if you aren't careful, you will become a liar for life because there will be seasons and chapters that you don't want anyone to know about. Think, it, think about it this way. If you are here in the room, you received a paper heart when you entered. It looks like this, just a little smaller. If you're watching online, you're going to have to use your imagination or think this through later. Craft time this afternoon is fine. In a perfect world, when you've finally decided that you've met the right person and you want to spend, it's the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, you're going to want to give them your whole heart. You'll be standing at the altar ready to say, I do as you hand them your whole heart. Nobody wants to give someone just part of their heart. 
And even more importantly, no one wants to be on the receiving end of just a piece of their soulmate's heart, right? In this story that you are writing about your life, you get to choose how much of your heart you give to your somebody. But what you actually have to give them is based on the story you've written up to that point. And when you decide to date the way the world dates and to not care about tomorrow because today feels so good, you end up doing damage to your heart. By the way, you also damage another person's heart in the process. But your regrets damage your heart too. And when you decide to just have sex with that person, you do damage to your heart. There are consequences of that decision, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether when you mistreated him, you damaged your heart. When, you, when he mistreated you, he damaged your heart. And all of that porn you watched damaged your heart. Every encounter you, you, that created regret, even if it didn't feel like it in the moment, but looking back in retrospect, it does, or it will someday, it damaged your heart. The heart that you want to give your lifetime someone and the consequences for those regrets become a part of your marriage forever. All of this is true whether, whether or not you follow, you follow Christ. This is why I think you should think about living like Jesus even if you haven't decided that he is who he says he is or believe in what he did. It's just wisdom and action. For Christ followers, of course, God redeems the junk in our lives when we let him. He knows how to make something beautiful out of something broken. But that doesn't erase consequences. And you carry those consequences into your relationship. Some of them even have the power to sabotage your relationship. Especially when you only tell them part of the story when you should have told them the, your whole story. So live in such a way and make the kinds of decisions that lead you to being able to give your whole heart away, your whole heart to your lifetime someone, not just the pieces that are left over. Of course, there is nothing you can do about the past. Nobody has the power to change yesterday, but you do have the power to start writing a different story today. It might be really hard to take a step backwards emotionally and physically, but take a step back anyway. Figure it out. Make today be the day that you begin writing a new chapter with a new story. Write a good story. These are my five rules. So simple, so adult-like, and yet not so easy in our culture. I know. But here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Take this heart, or maybe make one at home and find some place that is quiet, some place where you can spend some time honestly thinking through the cost of binge dating, hookups, line your way in, line your way out, the pregnancy test, the string of boyfriends or girlfriends that you used and lost, or who used and lost you, all of the, the things you'd be tempted to lie about in the future, the things you might be tempted to smuggle into your future, by the way, those things never stay in the dark. Eventually, everything comes out. And what do you have left? How much of your heart is left? What do you want to do with that? It might be a little discouraging if you can be truly honest with yourself. But here's the thing. If you are a Christ follower or decide to become a Christ follower, while it's true that it will never be the same again, he does bring beauty out of brokenness. 
He has a way of redeeming all of that junk when we turn it over to him and walk away from it. So turn over what's left of your heart to him and walk away from dating like everybody else. We're going to talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we, we really do have a high calling as followers of Christ. We have a, a calling to live the kind of love that changes the world, the kind of love that has already changed our, our world and can continue to change our world, can continue to change us. And the truth is, even in the context of all of the rest of our relationships, for those of us who aren't dating right now, we could take a step forward in loving like Jesus. There are aspects of each of these five rules that, that apply in other relationships as well. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would do the, the great work of the Holy Spirit and uh, bring illumination to our hearts and minds in the way we love in every relationship. Father, give us the courage to love like Jesus, to love differently than everybody else, to date differently than everybody else. Even if it means it might take longer to find your perfect someone. It's worth the wait. It's worth taking the time to prepare and become like Jesus. That pays, it's, the, it's the kind of weight that pays dividends for, through an entire marriage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That's the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you're on, maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.